welcome back. You're listening to Dyson Slice, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Dyson Slice Discussion Series Episode 7. I am Brandon and I'm here with my friends Chad and Beth. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, first off, sorry to all the fans that um, uh, we've been a little AWOL lately. Uh, we had some summer break stuff happening and and uh, getting ready for second edition. But the good news is second edition is almost out. By the time you guys are listening to this, it will it will be out. And we're back. So um, welcome back, guys. We've missed <laughs> you all. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, so like I said, we are recording this right now on July 28th. Um, we got a preview copy of the book from uh, Paizo. Thank you, Paizo. Also, Beth happened to just get lucky and got her stuff early. So I she did. has, yeah, you, you are, I think you actually got it a few hours before me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then Chad, poor Chad, you don't have anything yet. Nope, not a bit. Well, that's all right. You have seen the book, though. Yeah, I've got to see it. So it looks pretty. Yes, we're going to talk about that. So we um, we have gotten together with uh, our normal uh, live play group and we have built characters for an upcoming Age of Ashes adventure we are going to be doing. And so we uh, so Chad and everybody, we have gotten some. Uh, time with the book and, and going around and picking some feats and you know doing all the fun stuff. So this is going to be our basically our first impressions. This is not going to be a deep dive. We could spend uh, literal 50, hours. Yeah, we could spend fifty more of these episodes trying to go through every chapter in here. So this is going to be a quick overview of you know kind of what we think of the book and the rules and and everything else. So before we get into that, I did want to kind of remind everybody of where each of us come from on a uh, role-playing level. Um, So Brandon, or excuse me, Chad, would you mind starting? Give us a little bit of your role-playing history. Um, I'm very much a noob. I have been playing for about, I don't know, maybe Six, no, maybe ten months now. Um, Has it only been that long? Maybe. I feel like I've known you forever now. No, that ain't true. Uh, <laughs> and I said, feel like it. <laughs> I've been playing D and D Fifth Edition now for a little while, for since the beginning of that, uh, and have just started playing Pathfinder with you guys since I want to say just around what October or so eh. yeah yeah that sounds about right we started after the play test had kind of kicked off Mm -hmm. so your only exposure to Pathfinder has been through the play test correct that's correct awesome all right Brandon what about you well I um I'm kind of on the same boat as Chad, but I've been doing it a little bit longer. I think I'm about uh, six years, maybe six or seven. Uh, That's a little more than me. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, 
grew up doing all the nerdy things, video games, you know, pretty much everything I could except for D&D. And I thought, man, I should go ahead and, you know, be the full, complete, awesome nerd. So I decided to do D&D stuff and it's been amazing. And it's like my favorite thing now. And so I did do uh, D&D 5e mostly. Uh, I did play a few regular Pathfinder first edition games. I did some Fate and Shadowrun and just a little bit of everything, the Star Wars um, FFG stuff. And uh, then I've been doing the playtest since it was basically announced. And uh, I always loved learning about Pathfinder, but I always felt I was so far behind with first edition and all the 3.5 D&D stuff that I thought, ah, man, I'm never going to get... Um, Whenever I'm never going to get caught up. But so when they announced second edition, I was like, there we go. There is my jump on point. And here we are. So I know that we've all kind of talked about our backgrounds before, but I didn't want to kind of reiterate. Um, so for me, I've been playing role playing games since I was 15. Uh, of course, I started with 3.0. Um, from there, I actually took a kind of detour to the um, storytelling uh, system with uh, Vampire, the Masquerade. Um, I loved that. It was so fantastic. Um, cool. Yeah, and uh, then I jammed uh, a Pathfinder uh, adventure path for family, actually. And Ever since then, I've been obsessed with Pathfinder, uh, Galarian, the whole shebang. So um, I'm really excited to get into this. Awesome. So we all have a different, uh, very, you know, a varied um, background. So that's awesome. Yeah, it super is. So let's let's go get just right into it. I wanted to first talk about in my opinion the best thing about this book i wanted to get into a special thanks to the art direction and graphic design so that um according to both the bestiary and the main guide is sarah e robinson and sanja morris they did fantastic the art in this game is just so very good I I really agree, you know, and I've I've said it before. I'm not huge. I mean, I am horrible at art, but I can appreciate it. Um, and the things that I have seen in the core book and the B series, and even there's a few pictures in the Age of Ashes book that I'm in love with. So, a uh, very good job by them. Um, I've seen a few images from the bestiary that Beth had sent me. And uh, those were absolutely gorgeous. Oh, my God. I can't wait to fight these things <laughs> and probably die against them. <laughs> I was about ready to say and get killed by them. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, oh, Chad, you always <laughs> think your character is going to die. Well, it's because it's true. I mean, come on. Oh uh, Brandon is going to kill us all. Uh and I didn't get to look too much at the images in the player's handbook. I was mostly going through the technical stuff for building characters, but uh, I look forward to looking at all of those images. So the one thing I wanted to, uh, the one piece of art that I think is the best in the book 
is on page 32. So once you guys have your books, your listeners out there, please go there. And I, I just love it. It is so detailed and beautiful. I want this like an entire wall in my house. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. <laughs> and yeah, by that, I mean, I, we'll see what Chad can do. Right, exactly. <laughs> can you describe this picture for us? Sure. So it's basically Star Wars, uh, Return of the Jedi, the indoor scene at the very end when they're like up in the trees and in the little huts and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And you can see the iconics down in the uh, lower right-hand corner. So you have the bard and the cleric. Um, I think you can barely see, but it looks like maybe the rogue or somebody down there at the corner. But yeah, it's just freaking fantastic. (laughs) It almost looks like it's like a holiday, like Christmas or something. Uh, Just the way that they do the lighting and things, it kind of looks like it's christmas lights it's pretty cool yeah it's it's really awesome so do we want to give a a brief uh kind of overview of how they structured the book for people yeah so chapter one is your favorite chapter um well i mean if we're really getting into it like the third page of the book is a two page art piece that is just awesome uh, with our favorite little uh, kobolds there down at the bottom. Um, but then, yes, we do get into <laughs> chapter one, the introduction um, and the first section, which is what is a role playing game? What is a role playing game? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I. RPG. <sighs> they even have like a little picture down at the bottom of a seven set of polyhedral dice, which I mean, I get it's a very standard chapter in these style of books, um, you know, outlining all of the keywords that many of us have been using for a very long time, but not everybody does. So I get it. Um, but I just, Every single book I've ever picked up always has that same quote. What is role playing? What is a role playing game? And it just, to me, is a meme at this point that every book I pick up is going to have that in it. Yep. You know, and I, I understand why they have it. And it, I do. for the people that have been doing it, especially as long as you have, it's like, really? Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. But here's the thing. If, I was 15 again and uh, showing up at my boyfriend's friend's house to play a D&D game, which is exactly how that happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know. So I get See, it. I there totally you go. Get it. This is um, for all the 15 year old Beths out there. It's true. It absolutely is. Yeah. Um, moving on pretty quickly, you get into examples of play and a lot of definition building. I do like the on page 14 the example of play it really breaks it down uh for two pages it's almost like a a piece of fiction to read but it does break out like what this is gonna look like so that's pretty cool um lots of definition um definitions um 
getting into ability scores. But then pretty quickly you get into creating your character. And this is something we did um, as a group. We went through all the steps and uh, it kind of starts with, you know, I I think we might, um, I think we're going to be releasing our episode of, of that. So I won't tread on that again, but that leads into the second chapter, which is the ancestries and the backgrounds. And the ancestry is basically is just the new name for the races and uh, the backgrounds coming from five E I'm very familiar with. They're <laughs> almost the exact same thing. Um, yeah. And I don't have a lot of experience with five E. Um, I own the book and I've played in a game, but I don't know a lot of, like I had somebody else uh, help me with my character just to build it really quick. So I don't know a lot about it. Um, but so, I hear that that's the same. So is backgrounds weird for you then? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't weird. It Like it makes sense, right? right. Um, to have this narrative reason that you're in the story. Um, and I've always really liked in Pathfinder 2, especially with the, well, with the adventure paths. So they had these traits that you would take that was the reason you're there. And we don't know this yet, but we're pretty confident that on the first or around the first, Age of Ashes is going to release their player's guide. And instead of traits, we're going to have these backgrounds. And uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to the player's guide. So um, the idea that there's more to your character than just the sheet, that you've lived a part of your life already you know, you're not just a babe thrown in with a sword. I don't know. It's kind of cool. <laughs> babe thrown in with a sword. That's my next character. No, I agree. That uh, would be bizarre. <laughs> and I so do... the... go oh, ahead. go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, I do have a quick question for Chad, actually, on the character creation process. Um which I know we're going to be releasing that episode, but at the same point, what did you guys think was the, um, what did you guys think was the hardest part or a part of that creation process that didn't make sense? That was for Chad or me? Well, either one of you really. That didn't make sense. You know, I, you know, I've heard people have a lot of trouble with the uh, proficiency system but I've been using it now for so long. So the numbers being tweaked a little bit really to me, that's a really easy thing. Like, you know, once you figure that out, everything has proficiency and you add that on there. Um, so that was pretty easy. You know, the, we ran into a little hiccups with like the equipment stuff that was a little mm-hmm. out of order um, because you have to buy your equipment before you, before technically the step for figuring out your bulk Correct. So you could potentially encumber yourself before you even begin. Now, maybe the likelihood of doing that's pretty low, but um, that is that's really the only thing I found. What about what about you, Chad? I'm sorry, I had to step away for a second. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We're talking uh, about the, the cats got loose like in my basement here. I had to go chase them all away because they were meowing and stuff up storm. Sorry. Uh. That's okay. So I did want to backtrack just a little bit and go back to the uh, 
character creation process. And specifically, I wanted to know, Chad, your opinion on any missteps or um, confusion you had during the character creation process, since this is, you know, only the fifth character you've built or something. Um, well, I'm trying to think of if, if there was any confusing parts. Uh, actually, here, let me look through my character sheet real quick. Or even if there was, um, something that you felt was out of order. I mean, for the most part, I liked the lay- overall layout of the, uh, character sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, for my personal character, uh, I have, like, three feature first level features for my class mm-hmm. and there's only two spot, spots for that on the class feats and ability section so i just i was kind of confused by that um, i think on that use the bonus feats area at the bottom yeah, but i might have to do right. that so yes but i shouldn't have to do that yeah, you know what I mean. I, um, I yeah, I didn't like this as part of the playtest. I really don't like that they've labeled all the boxes. That being yeah. said, that's I'm a bit of a free spirit and want to write things willy nilly everywhere. For somebody who's very new and maybe very confused by how many feats you have and how many features, um, maybe this is easier. But for me, I didn't like it. And personally for me, I love creating characters. Like, even though I may have only had, like, five characters total in my whole time playing, Mm -hmm. I've got, like, 10 or 20 waiting (laughs) on the sidelines. Oh, I Um, know some people who definitely are in the same boat with that. (laughs) So I went ahead and pre-purchased the uh, class-specific character sheets. And I'm hoping that these kind of help with those specific things for each class. Either narrowing down the amount of sheets you need, because I barely need um, a spell sheet. But I know, obviously, like, wizards will need probably more than they give you on the normal sheets. Um, Just that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a really good point, honestly. Yeah, I, I like that they have them labeled, but it's a little confusing. Um, you know, I didn't make a guy. I kind of helped walk you guys through it. Mm-hmm. But um, on like the class feats and abilities column, it goes feature, feature, feat, feat, feature, and then it kind of alternates there. And when I was helping Ian with his druid, which I think we'll come back and talk about some druid stuff, but when I was helping him with that, he had so many uh, class features. Yes, they did <laughs> not. Uh, we were having trouble of like, okay, hold on. Does that go under feature or feet or does that go down under bonus feet? And, you know, does it really matter at the end of the day? Maybe not. But um, he, he was asking me, you know, that's something a newer player might ask. They might go, Hey, is this a feature or a feat or what is this? And, and um, so I had to, you know, I had to help him with that. So uh, that was the only thing with the, with the character sheets. Um, um. There was also that one big issue that you found, Brandon, with the, um, what was it, the druid's uh, beast form or uh, shape Yeah, why don't yeah. we go ahead and go over that? Yeah, you want me to talk about that now? Yeah, go ahead. 
All right. So, so we're, we're skipping over to the classes section, which yeah. starts for those of you following along, uh, starts on page 67. Thank you. Yeah. So chapter three is the classes and Ian has a really cool um, kind of character concept for a druid. And he know he knew this was going to be probably a difficult class because not only do you have spells, but you have your um, focus spells and you have all your druid orders and stuff. And uh, but he he wanted to stick with it. And so one of the things that I was trying to explain to him, and this is something he doesn't have his book yet. So he was trying to do it, you know, over the phone with me. We tried to do it in person. Uh, and and here's the thing we found. So. As a druid, you get to pick your uh, class path of what order you want to be in. And so he decided to be a wild druid because he wanted to focus on shapeshifting. And he was getting confused because the wild druid uh, class path, the class feature says you get the wild morph order spell and you get the wild shape druid feat. So first off, those are named almost the same thing. So he was confused about that. Um, and the wild morph is a focus spell. So you actually have to go look that up. And that once we figured that out, it's not a big deal. You mutate your hands a little bit and you can do some more damage. Cool. The problem was he unlocks the wild shape druid feet, which is in the feet section of the druid list later. And then if you go to that feet that you unlocked, it says the wild shape feet, you unlock the wild shape order spell, which is another focus spell. So that's two focus spells you've now looked up. And when you go to that focus spell, it says you basically get the spell called pest form or animal form. I forgot which one it was. But so basically you have a class path that unlocks a class feet, which unlocks a class focus spell which references a spell. So when you start going through all that, his mind was blown. Like what, what is happening? So I can cast a spell with a focus spell or with a focus point. um, And that's counts as my class feet, but it's part of my class path. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? (laughs) So that was the, you know, there, there might be others, but that was the, most confusing one because when I was going down, I was like, How do you not get this? I mean, come on. And I look at it, I'm like, Holy crap. Like, that's, <laughs> I, I yeah. get it, man. It's uh, quite the path to follow there. You know, honestly, I was expecting the wizard to be um, like more complicated, but honestly, it wasn't. Um, yeah, they did a good job kind of explaining all that. Yeah, David didn't seem now. If I understand correctly, he has been playing for role playing games for quite a while, but he really didn't seem to be like going through the book nearly as much as as Ian had to. So right, right. He, I think he had kind of prepped in advance. It seemed like, but um, he did a he did a good job. So actually, um, since. So the way that we're set up, since this is an audio medium, um, is that I'm on one end of the table and Brandon is at the other end. 
and uh, we each had books. So then um, the two Davids were on either side of me, and then Chad and Ian were on either side of Brandon. And so that's kind of how we split up the book, since we only had two books. Um, And for a long time, that's how I uh, role-played, is only one or two of us would have the books. So um, the Davids and I, I had prepped quite a bit beforehand. I pretty much knew my concept and where I wanted to go. So the Davids were able to really pass around that book um, and look things up as needed, um, which was good. It, it, it worked out really well for us. Now, eventually we'll get online resources, but of course it's still in advance. So we didn't have those. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought it went, uh, I thought it went really well. Um, Agreed. David uh, did. I mean, David, both Davids did really well building their guys, a sorcerer and a wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, we even ex- had to kind of explain the whole prepared caster versus uh, spontaneous caster. And they seem to get that pretty well. So we'll, we'll see how Mr. Wild Druid Ian goes, but I think he'll pick up on it pretty quick. And So the only other thing on the classes chapter that I wanted to mention is this book has a ton of full page art. You know, it's considered a, you know, we're not considered. It is a 638 page book. Yeah, it's huge. It comes in at four and a half pounds. Uh, It's huge. Yeah. But the fact that they dedicated so many pages to the full page art of some of the iconics and at the beginning of each chapter, I can tell you right now, I'm not mad at it. Um, no, I'd rather have it like this. More options. Yeah. But other than that, I think at this point, um, that's really all I had to say about the classes and um, ancestries. Did you guys have anything else? Uh, I had one more thing about the character sheet. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I well, no, that's there, and, I, <laughs> um, and it was just one little complaint. Uh, about the official character sheet that was released a few days ago. Uh, and that is the proficiency list that is up in the upper left corner, right underneath the Pathfinder character sheet logo. They fixed it. Uh, they, they did. did. Yeah. So, and you're talking about on the color one, right? Yes. Yeah, there was actually a forum post about it. Uh, I think it was a post right underneath the blog and they ended up fixing it like that day or that very next day oh dear god i cannot read that dark blue on that gray Mm -hmm. that is ridiculous definitely go download the updated sheet it's much much better um there was also a misspelling of the word pathfinder on the black and white sheet um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they like I said, they, it ended up getting changed the same day. So, um, if any of you guys downloaded of our listener base, if you guys downloaded the previous copy, go get the newer versions. All of that stuff is fixed. Yeah, I mean, just so we're not, um, it doesn't look like we're praising every single thing. I am a little shocked that they didn't have something as core as the character sheet more ready to go um i figured kind of as soon as people started receiving their book they would kind of get those things out and i kind of thought they would already be 
uh, spell checked and and all that stuff. But maybe they were making some last minute tweaks and stuff on it. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt of that. And I do appreciate them giving it earlier than August 1st. Um, but it did not save me from having to put my book up on my scanner and scan all the copies <laughs> of it and have it be really blurry and get made fun of. So uh, <laughs> I wish it was a little bit. <laughs> oh, you've got thicker skin. You'll be fine. No, oh, yeah. No, I'm totally used to it. I'm just, you know. I was actually going to go the other way and say that it kind of sounded tonight. Like we were almost bashing Paizo most of the time. Oh, here no. But in know. fact, we have complained about so little here. We only have this little bit to complain about. That oh, says great deal say about how amazing this release was. Did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have yeah, anything I else. <laughs> you know, neg- I mean, maybe I'll think of it later. But So... Um, Oh, we going negative. If we're talking, if we're ah, talking about we the go. release itself, <laughs> I don't. I'm not mad. I'm not. Yeah, mad. you are. Especially yeah, you are. because I'm one of the lucky people who got mine first. Um, and I definitely get it. With smaller publishing companies, have to do having to do staggered releases. Um, but I do think there were a lot of people that were kind of. I don't know blindsided is the right word, but kind of shocked by that. Like, oh, we didn't realize that this was going to happen. But, I mean, if you went onto the forums, they talked about it. Like, it, this shouldn't have been a surprise to most people. Um, and other companies do this, too. They and really what part wanted... are you talking about? Releasing the books early? Right. That some people okay. got their copies early, and other people haven't gotten their copies at all yet. Um, and this was all to prevent that on the first, only half of the people would have gotten their books. They want to make sure that by the first, everybody has their copy that pre-ordered. So I understand it. Um, but there was a lot of, I would say, um, negativeness on Reddit and, and the forums and stuff. So, so um, rah, rah, rah. yeah, but yeah. and I like I said, I do get it. Um, it's not that I don't understand. It's just, I think we have to kind of look at everything around it as well. So. Well, if we're going to be all negative, I guess I do <laughs> have one more, thing. you know, and this isn't really negative. This shows you that I'm, I'm uh, needy. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I really thought, so in the play test, you know how each class at each feet level kind of had like, I don't know, maybe three to six options. Well, probably four to six options or so. Yeah. Uh, I really thought in the core book, they were going to like triple that. Um, oh, and, yeah. I, and I know eventually like people five years from now, if they're listening to this, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? There's hundreds of level one class feats, you know? And so it's not going to be a problem down the line, but I kind of thought in the, this book that there would be, you More know, maybe a two or three pages per class for the feet levels and there really isn't i mean ian chose the druid and he was a human and i think he did the national the uh, natural ambition which gave him another class feat um and i think he got another one some other how but basically he had so many feats at first level that he almost had all of them he i don't think he could do anymore because three are locked down by the druid order you have Mm -hmm. and then there was like two other ones and he chose one, and the other one was like, oh, "I don't really, I don't really want that." 
So he ended up switching his uh, human uh, feet to the skilled one because it's like, oh, there's not enough feet, you know, but maybe five years down the line, it, that won't be a problem. But Heck, that, I, th- I think by um, January of next year, we'll have way more options. But uh, right. I do understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, overall, you get just from building your guy, you get more options than um, any other role playing games as far as uh, if we don't go guide. into like subclass and stuff. Yeah. So for core guide, it's it's pretty good. And I'm looking forward to to more options on that, too. So. I agree. That's kind of the whole thing. Um, the reason that a lot of people play Pathfinder is so many options. But anyway. Exactly. So we ready for the next chapter? Yeah, Still. let's get into skills. So I so, think this is pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, they, we, did we notice any like major changes from the playtest? A few. A few. So they have on page 235, they have table 4-1, which is the... Um, basically it's the skill table. It shows you what skills allow which actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love that. I use that all the time in the play test. I actually had a printout on my custom made little GM screen. And so I'm definitely going to print this page and, uh, have it out there. Um, it's just nice to know real quick. Okay. What does athletics get me again? And you know, what does Arcana do? But there was a couple problems with it. And one is, they had like identify magic and stuff. It was on a whole bunch of different pages. So it was like, okay, which one do I go to? So they now have the general skill section, which it's like, okay, all these skills can actually be done with different abilities, different. So this, I might be able to do this with a cult or arcana. And so they Mm -hmm. put all those together at the beginning. They kind of grouped that together, which at first I was like, whoa, I'm confused. They're just getting right into it. But after I sit back and actually read, um, crazy, I know it. Uh, it actually made it actually made a lot of sense, and, and I like that they did that, so they don't have like the same thing in every single one. Yeah. So they they save some space on that. I also really like the simple DC uh, list that they had mm-hmm. um, for GMs. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that is going to be used. So, so basically, for those of you who don't know, they have a DC set per training. So like they have a, if you're untrained, a, an easy DC to hit would be 10. If you're trained, an easy one would be 15. And it goes up like that. So if you're a GM and you're needing the DC really quick and you're like, oh man, that's a, that's a lock. And oh man, that would, that's going to require like an expert to do it. You go, bam, expert DC 20. Okay. So that kind of gives you a starting, a starting point and you can kind of maneuver up and down on there. Uh, they do have, which I did like, a more in-depth uh, skill chart. So they said, okay, like a level one check would be this. Level two check would be that. So if you really need to get in it, I like how it said, if you're going to get into life and death situations, use the level DC chart. If you're just doing exploration or something doesn't really matter, it's not going to kill you, just use the simple one. Uh, the one thing that I noticed that changed was stealth. Uh, and there's a whole little side note, which kind of leads me to a formatting uh, thing that I really, really liked. I love their 
quick rules references. And it, it's like a darker tan uh, little sidebar kind of. And I they're throughout the book. I really love them. But this one is called Being Stealthy. And uh, it really go, breaks down um, observed, hidden, undetected. And those are the, the three states. So, yeah, I, I really liked that. Yeah. And that was different than the playtest. Yeah, I agree. The playtest had like the, uh, what was it? unseen, seen. Um, there was like five levels. I don't remember. And I don't, yeah. unfortunately, I don't have it near me. Well, it's, it's good. So <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, I, I spent so much time looking at that stealth thing because I always feel like I'm screwing that up when I GM. And um, now knowing that we have a rogue in our Age of Ashes group, I was like, man, I really need to figure out this uh, stealth stuff. So I have been reading that. And I think it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. how they how they do it. Um, I really like it. And the whole uh, um, cover system they made easier as well. Like you either have soft cover, cover, regular cover or greater cover. So like if you're going to have to shoot through an ally, it's no more. It's not screened like it used to be. It's now just mm-hmm. soft cover. So it's plus one. Um, yeah. You know, so they combine that to make it so you didn't have to learn another term, which basically meant the same thing. It's like, oh, wait, am I screened or am I cover? Can I, can I be both? No, it's like now. Okay, now you're either lesser, less cover or more cover and stuff like that. Um, so I, I did like that. And I did notice that they, they took uh, what they ended up doing at the playtest in the 1.6, which was you can now attack from stealth and they are flat footed. And then after you attack, then your stealth is broke because they originally had it where if you attacked, you're immediately out of stealth. So you kind of lose the whole reason why you're stealthing. So I'm glad they, they kept that in. Awesome. So anything else on uh, skills or can we move on to feats? Um, we, yeah, we'll, we'll probably come revisit this when- to oh, trust play me. in the game, but yeah, go, let's go to feats. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I really don't have too much on feats other than um, it is a limited list, right? Um, we're definitely going to yeah. need more feats. Um, when you get into the higher levels, you just don't have a ton of options, but that's to be expected. We'll get more um We've kind of already talked about a little bit on the feats jumping around a little bit. Um, I did like, and this is kind of a formatting thing, uh, where the class feats were actually not in the feats chapter. They were in the classes chapter. Oh, yeah. Thank God. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) I I really like that. So... it When I say it out loud, it may not make a lot of sense, but it really does. Like, it, it, it... was in my opinion a great formatting decision. Yeah, they really they help you break it down. The class feats are in the classes, and then the general feats chapter five is basically your general feats and your skill feats. Um, and I, I think that's pretty much it. And I really liked how they they broke it up. They have they have them by level, um, and then they have they have them by skill. So you can see like all the athletic skills. Uh, crafting skills and so forth. So it makes it really easy to kind of, you don't have to sit there and go, Oh man, I'm waiting for the, 
I got to wait for the app to come out so I can browse the feats. I mean, it's pretty easy to just look at it and see exactly what prereqs you need, a brief description of what it gives you and what level you can take it. I agree. So we're going to buzz through a couple of chapters really quick, only because uh, I have some kind of deeper dives in the works um, on some of these chapters. So equipment, the only thing I had, unless you guys had other things was I liked the, the shield changes. Yeah. The dents are gone. HP is in. They added the broken threshold, the BT number. Mm-hmm. Um, so your shield breaks on that. So you just track it with HP now, which you're familiar with because you track your own guy with HP. No, nope. so you don't have to worry about dents. Definitely. I, uh, I really liked confusing. it. <laughs> I, I lost track of that uh, in our recordings. And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know if my shield's broken or not. <laughs> right. I, I did like on the arm that they, they did two new things that I saw, um, or maybe I missed it in the playtest, but they added a strength level where if your strength was a certain number while wearing the arm, that it would actually remove some of the penalty mm-hmm. that you had, which was a big thing, uh, especially for Ian, because he was playing a cleric with like big tanky plate armor, and he had all these speed penalties and and check penalties, and the little uh, you know ranger was sitting there with more AC than him with no penalties, and so he's like, "Why am I going all this heavy armor?" Mm-hmm. And um, so they added some things to help that, so you can reduce the check penalty, you can reduce the speed penalty, and I think my favorite thing is the armor specialization effects, which um, you have to get class features that give it to you, but basically they allow medium and heavy armor to do special things for you, like reduce damage taken. Wow. So, yeah. Um, like an example is chain armor. You reduce the value from critical hits uh, by four plus your armor's potency rune. So, oh so you can reduce, and then other ones like reduce bludgeoning damage or piercing damage and stuff like that. It's not much, you know, it's like two or three or something, but I think in the long campaign, it will add up. Yeah, definitely. So, next we have spells, and uh, I'm mostly going to say, like, talk about options. There's a lot in spells. Yeah, there really are. It's a very long chapter. I'm not going to get into it too much other than um, the, it it looks great. Um, although I thought there was some kind of... Yeah, here we go. So there are two sections within the spell chapter. One where they are sorted by um, alphabetical order uh, for the spell list. But then... it. For class-specific spells, I guess they're sorted by um, class. I wasn't Uh sure what was up with that. Is that the focus spells? I think it is. Yeah, because they you're right. They do the spell list, and they have like the arcane spells, blah blah blah, and then it switches to the focus spells. But which are no longer alphabetical order. Exactly. Yeah, those are done by class, which is a little. Little different. So you just have to kind of remember is it a regular spell or is it a focus spell? Right. And yes, Chad, the the those after like druid, they go in alphabetical order. Okay, so alphabetical for each class. Yeah. Correct. Okay. That's something. 
And I guess I guess they have to do it that way because the focus spells don't really fall into a spell list, so they can't be on like an occult spell list. They belong to a class, mm-hmm. I guess, is how they they do it. I did like that on the spells. Um, they now show which uh, magic tradition, which spell list they come from, mm-hmm. which I think yeah, is an nice. amazing improvement. Um, so you can quickly look at it and be like, oh yeah, arcane device, cool. All those can do that. So I really yeah. like that. And I noticed that the spells were all buffed up like they promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, the damage a little bit better, especially the cantrips, which were really low. I felt like um, they were really low. They got uh, most of them got a decent buff, not huge, but decent. So, have it, you guys having played Fifth Edition um, way more than me? Uh, I am used to cantrips being non, pretty much non damage, like light as a cantrip. Um, so how does this compare with fifth ed, which I understand has the cantrips where they uh, are kind of a basic damage dealing spell. Um, is this kind of like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very similar. Okay. Um, yeah. They, you know, cantrips in, um, in fifth edition, they do, they do a certain amount kind of just like the same kind of ballpark. They do, now the Pathfinder one in the playtest was a little low, but they've kind of mimicked them to catch up, and they also add your uh, spell ability modifier quicker, I believe, on some of the spells, so you can actually do some more damage. Now you're never gonna out damage like a, a barbarian holding a, a two handed axe or something, uh, but if you don't want to waste your spell slots, you're not gonna be useless. And the goal of these is you're going to be better with these cantrips than you are a crossbow. So yeah. uh, you're going to eventually do more damage. So there's no reason the wizard who practices, you know, wizard arts all day has to pull out a crossbow to do any type of damage because they're out of spell slots. Um, they'll still be able to uh, provide some help and, and do some decent damage. I mean, I've, I've currently got a, a warlock over in D&D and they get a cantrip called Eldritch Blast, which is like beam of dark energy you can shoot like multiple rays each round it's crazy mm-hmm. and then they're like hey you could also get this specialization for a crossbow why would i want a crossbow when i can shoot this beam at people i don't understand <laughs> i like the idea of just shooting beams yes <laughs> yeah the famous eldritch blast for for a warlock it's like their main thing yeah So I am absolutely going to skip chapter eight. Other than please go look at the maps. They're so beautiful. Uh, But I really, really love that it exists. So chapter eight is the Age of Lost Omens. So it's a bit of world setting um, straight within the player's guide. It's really great. It gives you some um, overviews of the different countries and stuff, which is great. Uh, but I want to like really get into it. Um, and I haven't read all the way through yet. So um, we're going to go ahead and skip that. Um, but it's really, really an awesome chapter. Yeah, I've started that and I do appreciate, you know, there are some people upset that the there's uh, core lore in the core book and I really like it. I don't think they go too far in it. They give a very in each of the areas. And um, 
for somebody new kind of to the Pathfinder world, I think it really helps. No, or at least absolutely. give them a starting point to go wiki stuff. Well, and here's the thing. There are things in here who, that I've been playing the APs for a while. And I'm not a lore expert. I'll be honest here. But there were things that I read. I was like, oh, I actually didn't know that. Um, so I, I think it's fabulous. Um, and especially when you're playing the um, adventure paths, it's needed. So yep. next is going to be chapter nine. And this is where we start getting into the crunchy stuff. Yeah. Um, so this chapter nine is playing the game. This is where you're going to get into your generic rule set. Um, it goes really in depth into a lot of things that are very similar from the, the play test. Um, and for role playing games in general. Um, so like there's a couple of things it goes into uh what damage types are it goes into conditions like it just breaks everything down for you yeah this was actually the first chapter that i read i went straight to this in game mastering to try to figure out you know what was um actually i think the classes was the first thing but this was a, a close second just to kind of see high level what had changed and what i needed to look at and um, there wasn't really a lot. I mean, not that it's a bad thing. I've just been following it so much that I I wasn't surprised by anything, really, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the death and dying matched how they ended it with uh, the 1.6 playtest stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they made the counteracting, like the dispel magic type of stuff, the counter uh, counterspell stuff. They made it. Slightly simpler. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it a little bit, but I think it's um, it makes more sense than what it did in the in the play test. Um, other than that, they just had you know the basics like this is how to do an attack roll. This is a a spell attack roll, which kind of replaces touch AC. Um, That's right, because touch AC is completely gone now. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> honest. Coming from Pathfinder One, where that was like standard it's gonna take me a long time to uh get used to it but i'm not against it yeah i i get that coming from 5e i was like why have this touch ac thing like oh i could get into it but we won't we don't have time for that well playing a paladin in play test here i was like yay i'm so tanky no one can hurt me oh, oh this no was a touch spell son of a gun well, now it's a reflex save that you'll fail. So. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a reflex save you're going to fail. Yeah. Thanks for the encouragement, Brandon. No problem, man. Woman. He's, he's accurate. Both? Yeah, I am. Uh, was there anything else in the playing the game chapter that stuck out for you, Beth? Um, not at, like, honestly, I have not read it all the way through, which probably makes me a uh, bad player, but um, we'll be going into a deep dive onto it. Yep, sounds good. I'd like to get into like the whole uh, precise versus impre imprecise mm -hmm. uh, senses, which I think was in the playtest, but I kind of was like, whoa, big words and kind of skimmed it. And I actually <laughs> read it here and it, it makes sense. And once again, I read it because of you, Chad, because I needed to know how the rogue stuff works. So uh, thanks for that. 
Well, thank you. <laughs> so the next chapter is the game mastering chapter. And this is another one that I want to almost completely um, skip because um, we're going to go into it much more in depth. Other than one, of course, the art is amazing. But go to page 484. If you're listening right now and you have the book, go to page 484. It is not a full page, um, which makes me sad. Uh, but it's a half page of a fortune teller. And it is my second favorite piece of art in the book. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, but right on the next page, I did want to bring this out because it means a lot to me as a player. Um, but they actually talk about lines and veils and the X card, which I've uh, never used the X card before. Um and uh, if you're interested, like I said, it's on page uh, 45, and they do go into it. Um, and they even give you a URL to read more about it. I've never used that in a game, but Lines and Veils, I have used a lot. Very much. Um, in fact, we were going to be playing a, a game this weekend. Uh, Chad was going to be running it. Um, a dread game. Mm -hmm. And he messaged me and asked, you know, hey, privately, um, hey, you know, I'm preparing everything for the game. He didn't phrase it like this, but that's what he was asking. You know, what are your lines? What are things that are just not appropriate for you? And as a, a player, I really appreciated that they ex they put that in the first three pages of the game mastering chapter. Like, that's awesome. Interesting. I'd never heard of that before. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, I've I've used it before. Um, in a lot of games that I play, we talk about it. Um, for a lot of storytelling games, um, especially like um, Vampire, Dread is a great example. Um, talking about some of those themes beforehand is really, really important. D&D... Um, &D, can be less so but at the same time you when you come to the gaming table you want to be comfortable and yeah. an environment can go from comfortable to very uncomfortable very quickly and so knowing um knowing those lines of i'm not going to cross this as a gm even as other players at the table, to me, is really important. So I loved it. Yeah, that's really good. I I can't remember if D&D has something like that or not, but I I'm certainly am not remembering it, at least in 5th edition. Yeah, and this isn't something that Pathfinder has created. Like These are concepts um, very popular um, in co online communities and other games as well. So, you know, this isn't this isn't something that they've created, but the fact that they've included it is pretty great. I agree. So moving right along, as Kermit would say, uh, we're moving into crafting and treasure, the fun chapter. Yeah, this one has been a fun, like, oh, I have five minutes. Let me go grab it and go look at the treasure type of thing. Mm -hmm. I haven't really been able to go front to back on it, but I've, certainly picked it apart piece by piece. Uh, Let me tell you, 
if you're one of those people who love tables, this is your chapter. <laughs> tables. So many tables. Lists. Mm, tables and lists. My yeah, no, I'm thing. good. <laughs> uh, but it's got it's got some pretty cool stuff in it. It's and as always, like everything just looks really well formatted. I like the tag words that they're using um, on items and stuff. Which I play the card game, uh, the Pathfinder card game. This is right. very reminiscent of that to me. Yep. All the traits and everything mm-hmm. tagged on all the items. Yeah, correct. I really, so I really like that. I do as well, and I like how they kind of broke everything up. So they have like the alchemy stuff if i remember right and then it kind of goes into like magical armor um and then weapons and wands and staffs and then like other invested magical items and stuff so uh, i really like what they did and you know this is a good starting point and as books come out and adventure pass and stuff you know they'll add tons and tons more but this is uh some really cool fun things I think they gave us to kind of play with. And I know their goal was to make magic items more fun instead of being like the ones like, Oh, I have to have that stat wise. And I think they really did a good job. I haven't gone through them all yet from the ones I've seen. They all have like a lot of cool, like, Oh man, I can't wait to use that. Or that would be really fun to Mm -hmm. use type of thing. So I think they did a a really good job with the, the items and how they formatted it all. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, and that leaves us with just the appendix, which um, I would not say is a standard <laughs> appendix, but is pretty good. Yeah, the appendix kind of starts with the conditions. Yeah, I like um, that. Which was which was nice because they referenced that earlier, and they a brief like, "Oh, this is what flat footed is," but now they kind of spell everything out for you, like, "Okay, here's all the conditions." Um, not coming from a pure Pathfinder one background, it is a little hard for me sometimes to look at a condition and they don't always say how to get rid of them, how to get rid of that condition. It'd kind of be nice if, if they had like, okay, to get rid of X condition, you need, um, like a cure disease spell or, or something. But I think a lot of the ways that you get the condition also tell you how long they last and stuff like that. So I'm going to wait wait and see before I, I worry too much about that. But that is something in the play test that I personally kept note of was how to clear that condition as well. Cause I didn't want to get to a point where somebody is petrified and they're like, well, how do I get out of that? And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, well I, um, you need, uh, I don't know. It doesn't say on the condition. So I'm not sure. Right. So, um, other than that, it, that's pretty much it. And then it goes into your sheet, uh, the, which I, scanned and i had to hold this huge book up to my scanner to do that and then it gets into the um like the glossary and the index and stuff and i I, so far i've had to use this way less than i did the playtest book a lot less jumping back and forth but Mm, everything i've looked for has been in here uh brief description the correct page numbers um haven't really had a problem so far with it so i think they did a really good job and they listened to feedback on on that stuff i'm really excited to see how the pdf turned out um positive it's gonna have uh bookmarks because all of the pdfs do but i really hope it's a linked pdf where if it says see page 95 for this ability (laughs) you click on 95 it takes you there i don't think that's going to be the case but i'm 
holding out hope. I doubt that's the case, but I know I know, I know there's uh, some really awesome fans that do that. They did it with the playtests, and I bet you they will. I don't know if it's illegally allowed, but if it is, I'm sure they'll do it. Um, <laughs> well, so. they'll probably do it even if it isn't allowed. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so there's just a couple more products um, that we got um, as part of our my order and that Paizo sent us to review. Um, so I wanted to briefly go over uh, Midwives to Death. And I know a lot of you are saying, what? That's not second edition. It's not. It is the last published book, as far as I'm aware. Please correct me if I'm wrong on Facebook. Uh, the last published book for first edition. And it is the final adventure for the Tyrant's Grasp adventure path. In the last part of this book, they have a chapter called The Developer Showcase. It's really cool. They have a lot of cool stuff on this. They've got some creatures. They've got some haunts. Um, they have, like, some... They're not narrative chapters, but they're almost like advice. So, like, one of the sections is a two-page spread about making your final conflict mean something. And how to, as a GM, really build up to that. And it's written by a guy named uh, Mark Seifter, I think is how you pronounce that. Um, it's really cool. If if you ever see this, um, like if you, if you don't already own it, I personally would say that this book is worth it just for that content. Which, of course, will be um, published online too, but... Um, I really think that it's worth it. And hmm. as the last book published under first edition, I understand that some of the stuff you won't use, but there's some advice here. Um, there's some great artwork. Uh, there's a new um, ver or archetype for the uh, Blood Rager which is really, really cool. I don't know, guys. It's just, to me, it's super worth it. Okay. Interesting. Might have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, the next you time sold we me. Meet, yeah. <laughs> the next <laughs> time we'll meet, I'll, I'll bring it so you guys can take a look. Um, and then uh, I got both Age of Ashes, which I couldn't even look at. Which I have now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, Brandon, you're so evil. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, like, you have no idea. I held, I was sitting on the couch holding that book in my hand, going, but I could just, you know, open it up and take a look. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but I can't. That's good self control. I'm not sure I could do that. Oh my gosh, you have no idea how bad I wanted to open that book. I am caressing it. it. I, I didn't. I didn't even look at the bestiary at the end. Usually when they publish the adventure path in the end, they'll have like a, like a piece of fiction. And again, I don't know if age of ashes has this because I haven't even opened it. Uh, but usually there's a piece of fiction, there's a bestiary, and then there's like an NPC showcase. So it'll give like two page spreads on some of the popular NPC or important PCs for the adventure path. Having run a couple of the adventure paths, 
Um, I really like the layout. So I would expect it to be similarly laid out. Um, but I don't know for sure. So let me tell you. Yes, you are please. absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. They, they do. It's it's a new thing. It's called the Adventurer's Toolbox now. And at the very beginning, it basically says, you know, here's a brief overview of what's happening to learn more. Go to the Adventurer's Toolbox at the end. Oh, cool. And they have a more in-depth of like, this is what happened, you know, 10,000 years ago to lead you into the story. So you can like go back as far as you want to to follow this thing. Um, it also has like what you said, the items, the NPCs, um, the monsters and so forth. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, now, so the front of it says a new thing we have, though, is the Adventurer's Toolbox, which begins on page 70 of the volume. Uh, every adventure going forward will now have a toolbox where you'll find uh, rules, advice, and new monsters, player options, and more. So it kind of sounds like they uh, used to always have that, so I'm not sure what's new about it, but I don't know that I've run. Uh, I'd have to look at it to see the difference. So, um... Maybe at the end of um, book one, we can compare book one from a couple of the adventure paths that I have. Um, So I've actually run um, a few of them, but only like two have I actually completed. Um, A lot of times we'll start an adventure path and then the group falls apart, unfortunately. Um, But there have been a couple that have played all the way. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll be able to kind of uh, compare that at the end of book one. But there okay. will be certain parts because book one should give you kind of an overview of the entire campaign. So there will be certain things that it we're allowed to read. Yep. But yes. we can talk about that after. Um, <laughs> I also did get a copy of The Fall of Flagstone, which is the adventure that they published. Um, it is... Pretty much the adventure and um, nothing else. There's like no beast here or anything. Um, it's really nice. It's got a lot of, excuse me. It's really nice. It's got a lot of uh, good artwork in it. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it just because I don't want spoilers for those of you guys who are going to be playing in it. Um, but it's, if you're looking for an introduction to um, the new edition, I would highly recommend playing in the fall of Flagstone. Hmm. Now I'm jealous of you again. The review copy for that has not come in yet. Oh, that's all right. But it, um, it's pretty great. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And then finally, my Wait, absolute more? favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so here's the thing. I actually pre-ordered another one of the books, uh, the world guide, but it got delayed. So as soon as that gets shipped out, We'll do a um, kind of first impressions of that book as well. But no, now we have the bestiary. I know. It's a beast. So it's much smaller than the player's handbook. It clocks in at also, I I did hear your pun, Brandon, but I'm ignoring you. I, you know, I wouldn't expect anything else. (laughs) It does clock in at 357 pages. So it is quite a bit smaller. Um, but as always is my absolute favorite book. 
when it comes down to it, I prefer PDFs because I can search through them, right. except for B series. To be able to just sit down and like read through a bestiary is like one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, I have all of the Pathfinder bestiaries. I have a bunch of the monster manuals from 3 and 3.5 um, and from Starfinder. Uh, it's not called, it's called uh, Alien Archive. Right. And I don't even play that game. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just one of my favorite books, and this is going to be no exception. Yeah, you know, I've I've looked at the monsters that I've needed to match Age of Ashes that I've been running, um, and even I've been looked at some of them that the uh, our Carps our conversion stream campaign had done just to see if they were different. I really like what I've seen. Um, I, I did notice that some, and this could just be the ones I looked at, but some of their ACs have gone up slightly and, um, a few went down, but most of them went up. And, but I think that even though they went up, it's still going to be just as easy to hit them or not easier because of the different proficiency, just trained to be in level plus two is a lot different than your level. Uh, you get that other bonus at the beginning. So I'm not worry about any of that if anything it makes the monsters cooler i think the thing that really drives me and i think will be a huge selling point to 5e players looking at pathfinder second edition is what they did with the monsters and that is they made them so incredibly unique and fun to play as as a gm agreed Uh, i just you know i i've played a lot of both and don't get me wrong um but I have noticed that a lot of the 5e, at least the core monsters, are move and attack, move and attack. They don't have a lot of other things going on with them, whereas these Pathfinder monsters, they have so many cool abilities and options, and I can really mix and match what I want to do each turn to mess with you guys. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially for me. (laughs) Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. The monsters feel like they were built to be their own thing. You know, almost the, I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, the difference between one and two. And they said that in one, it felt like the monsters were a class, right? They had hit die. uh, They had a lot of the same features as classes did. Where in second edition, they feel unique. And, it's super exciting. Yep. I'm I'm really, really um, glad that it's laid out very similarly to first edition. And what I mean by that is every monster, not every single one, but most of the monsters have a piece of art. Yeah, and a really good description, too. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these, I'm like, man, you know, that's cool, but how would I run it? Oh, there's a whole there's a big paragraph right here telling you where they're found and how they act. And, and it really makes it easier to kind of look through and be like, Oh yeah, that would actually work really well here. So not See, only do they add a whole bunch of stuff, but they added a really good description. I feel like. No, I definitely agree. Um, now this would be mostly for the people who didn't go into the, uh, play test, 
but the um, layout of the stat blocks are different. They have like the three sections. Uh, I love this. So, you know, you have the first section, which is like the basics, right? Yeah, it's like the core stats. Skills. Yeah. Exactly. Um, anything that they're going to need before combat. So, like, right now, I just flipped to a random page. I'm looking at the Great White Shark right now. So, this is page 291. For those of you following along at home. Um, so, the Great White Shark, it gives me its perception. It's tags, of course. So, neutral, huge, animal, aquatic. And then it gives me blood scent. So, one of its abilities um, that is related to sensing. So you're not going to necessarily use this in combat. You're going to need this before combat starts. And that's really great. And then the second uh, section is um, anything that they're going to use during combat. So for the shark, it's just their AC, their saves, and their hit points. But for this, uh, just the next page over on 290, for the shambler, we have any special abilities that they have. So they have a reaction um called shamble and it gives you the requirements that trigger it um as well as an ability called electric surge and immunity to electricity so that's really cool and then of course the final section is everything else any actions that can take so again yeah. those of you guys who did the play test that's going to sound very familiar that's how pretty much how it was laid out in the play test if i remember correctly um but it's in my opinion, narratively focused, like the first thing you see is a description, not a stat block. You see the art, and then you see what you need to do to play it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I um I like how they have the three separate sections. You know, like mm -hmm. you said, like it's, it seems like the stats, and then it's more like defensive stuff, and then more like offensive ability type of thing. Uh, I don't know if they all fall into that. It just kind of seems like that's kind of how they're they're set up, and everything you kind of need is in, which makes it easier. Now, I will say the added abilities and choices that you get for each monster means that it's probably harder to grab one off the fly if you've never ran it. Um, I think any monster in any system you need to at least look over beforehand. Uh, I think. You know, D&D &D maybe is easier to just grab a monster and go because they don't have as many options. But I think spending just a little bit of time in reading through it, you could become very familiar very quickly and have a lot of different choices on how you want to run the guy. So I've, as a GM, I've never not read all the way through a stat block before. How dare you insinuate that, sir? <laughs> oh, I know. It's not like you ever roll a random table pop a random guy out anywhere that i've uh, never seen his stat block before ever <laughs> exactly so i think as long as you you know look at it beforehand you'll be fine <clears throat> yep <laughs> anyway uh so yeah i think that's it if there's any specific creatures or um things in the bestiary or even the player's handbook that you really want us to go into a deep dive Definitely let us know, but I think I think that's it, guys. Yep, yep. Um, so, sorry, go ahead, Chad. No, that's all I can think of. So we are going to be, uh, Dice and Slice is going to be doing some more stuff, like uh, we mentioned at the beginning. 
We have a new campaign we're starting, the Fighting Carps conversion stream, which is our live play of going through playtest material, uh, and a D&D campaign transferred over to Pathfinder playtest is going to be wrapping up. We have the final episodes coming out here shortly, and then we are going to be starting recording and doing the Age of Ashes adventure path. Um, Paizo has asked us not to release any spoiler content until August 1st. So, uh, we're not going to release our, um, build episode until then. So when you guys are listening to it, it will be already August 1st, but we're going to try to get ahead a little bit on the age of ashes stuff and get that out to you guys. So hope you uh, enjoy that. It's the same people that we had running the uh, fighting carps conversion stream. Am I missing anything on that, guys, that we need to add? No, other than I'm super excited for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but, man, the, just from what I've read so far and prepped, it's you guys are going to enjoy it. I, it's, I think it's, it's probably, it's as a GM, and this may be just a warning for some of the GMs out there that plan to run it, it has one of the most, not confusing, but maybe one of the most difficult encounters to to set up and run that I've seen. Um, but maybe I'm reading too much into it and I'm analyzing it too much, but man, it looks fun. Like, I, I, I can't wait. Like, I almost want to, I have a trip coming up, but I almost want to like postpone that trip just so we can run another session because I want to, <laughs> I want to get this done while it's in my, while it's fresh in my head. It looks really awesome. Speaking of your trip, though, that does uh, remind me, we will not be at uh, Gen Con this year due to um, some personal trips and things like that. So I really, really hope, as, as this episode comes out, I'm sure a lot of you guys will already be there. But I really hope you guys have a great time at Gen Con. It's a lot of fun. I don't uh, go as much as I used to, um, but it is a blast. So I really hope everybody who was able to make it was able to have a good time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we couldn't make it. The plan was to, but yeah, personal things came up and trips are coming up, and so it didn't happen this year. But we're hoping, we're hoping maybe next time. You know, relatives really just need to stop getting married. Yeah, you know, it's really <laughs> getting it, cutting into my gaming life. So I agree. I'm gonna have to talk to him about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the Dyson Slice discussion series. Uh, you can email us at uh, Dyson Slice Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Slice and Dice Podcast, or you can message us on Twitter. It's that tweeter, Twitter thing at Dyson Slice One or Instagram, Dyson Slice Podcast. Other than that, I'm Brandon. I have Beth and Chad. Thank you very much. Have a good day. See y'all later. The intro song, Pam Gaya. And this very song that's starting up right now, Vibase, were all created and composed by Kevin McLeod. You can check out more of his work and the work of many others over at Incompetech.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.